Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The been thinking about McDonald's all day. Can't get it off my mind. I can already taste it. Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some Mickey D's deal. There's a deal for every moment at McDonald's. Right now, get two of your favorites for just $3.50. Mix and match a classic McChicken, a hot and spicy McChicken, or a juicy McDouble. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Single item at regular price. This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. My name is Dave Hanready, and there will be no encore. I'm going to do that again. Didn't enjoy that one. I always get it wrong on the first one. I liked the hello. It was kind of hello. Hello. Yeah, I, I don't know if it was. It was a bit weird. It, it was a bit like New York Radio Morning DJ. So let's do it again. It's my favorite kind of radio. Hello, my name is Dave Hanready, and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 278 of the No Encore Music Podcast. I'm here with Craig Fitzpatrick. What up, sir? How are you? I'm good. I'm not actually here with you. You're still in your house in Kildare. You know, it's still we spent ongoing. a lot of time in each other's rooms over the past year or so. In a manner of speaking, yeah. In a manner um, of speaking, I will uh, say I think emotionally we've been right there, haven't we? It's a very bedroomy <sighs> podcast in general. It's kind That's of a the vibe, right? It's kind of a symbiotic relationship at this point, one way or the other. Um, oh, the humidity, by the way, fuck me! It's way too hot at the moment. I got I got the windows closed for good audio, and I'm dying. I'm sweating. It's disgusting. Not good. I can reveal exclusively on this podcast that I went commando last night. <laughs> I don't and think anyone needed to. Off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty <laughs> sure. You're, the you're, um, you're barefoot right now, though, aren't you? 
I'm barefoot. Yeah, I'm not going commando though. Uh, Thank God. Yeah. For the podcast. Um, People have been I, fired I really for that kind of thing, by the way. <laughs> That's <laughs> very like, true. The Zoom call. Yeah, I'll don't end up do working it. in Dubai or something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's the humidity is kind of okay to me. It's you know, football's about to start again. It feels like that summer a couple of summers ago where it was just like glorious all you know, all summer long. We had the World Cup and. I'm hyped. I'm in a good place, Dave. You have sound you, are you sp- absolutely miserable. <laughs> All summer long. Nice kid rock reference there as well. Um, yeah, look, football's happening. And like our top five this week is actually in honour of the, the Euro 2020 kicking off. We're going to be doing top five songs about winners and losers. That'll be after our album review, Wolf Alice, Blue Weekend... Not going to be a blue weekend on this podcast, is it though, Craig? It's going to be all good times. Uh, one last thing on the on the community. I got a haircut, uh, like like a proper short haircut for once. No more slicking it back. It's over for about three months, I presume. Yeah, I like it. It's not as tight as you've ever been. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> Just keep on going. <laughs> but it's a very nice cut. I do like it. Uh, it suits you. Cheers, Well man. aware, sir. I've got you should a, really give the audience like um, full value and post a few pics online if you haven't already. No, I've got, one, I've got an Instagram story up that people can see if they want to. And I've regretted putting it up because I'm like, I look terrible. No, I've also got a piping hot not. cup of green tea here because d- despite the fact that it's fucking boiling, I've got hot beverage beside me. That's what we do. Uh, should note that there's a new episode, three episodes this week, by the way, including this one. If you factor in our Patreon, patreon.com slash noencore, we released the latest episode of No Ox Cord on the bank yeah. holiday, bank holiday Monday out there. And it was a very fun one to record. We were very giddy. I was very hungover, and it was good times all around. Adam's on it's that one as well. Those morning recording sessions, I think, isn't it? It's just yeah, it was it nice. Brings out the playful side of us. It was good as vibes. opposed to this. No, <laughs> all this business is fine. preamble. <laughs> it's all revealing, too revealing, I would say. Uh, that's out now. It's patreon.com slash noancore if you want to throw us the price of a pint. And in return, you get bonus episodes like that. You get episode previews, playlists, and more. Uh, and more meaning our wonderful eternal gratitude. And of course, also out this week on the main feed, if you haven't heard it yet, Royal Yellow in conversation, standalone episode. Put that out on Tuesday. His debut EP, Still Until, is out. And the conversation's really good. Nice feedback on that one as well. Very much enjoyed. And as for this episode, we will proceed in the time-honoured tradition. Hey, you heard about the good news? And now over to my very own Anne Doyle. It's Craig Fitzpatrick with the News Roundup. I'm going to take that. Anne's an absolute legend. Another legend, Mariah Carey. It's fair to say we absolutely adore Mariah on this show. Um... I think we've been saying that for a while, but certainly since the the grunge revelations of recent times where it turned out that she, I think she did nearly an entire album of grunge tracks in the 90s as a kind of silent fuck you to the industry and everyone else. So yeah, we're very much on her side. Um, a more public fuck you to the tabloids this week from Mariah. She is strongly denied recent reports, I believe it was in The Sun, so, you know, obviously fuck those guys, uh, that she was embroiled in a bitter feud with Jay-Z. Um, so she's actually, she's been, she's had a deal with Jay-Z's entertainment management company uh, for the past four years. That is apparently wrapping up and The Sun was claiming that it was after an explosive argument over her future. Um, but no, she's spoken out. She said, the only explosive situation I'd ever get into with Hove is a creative tangent, such as our number one song, Heartbreaker, which is excellent. I'd completely forgotten that Jay-Z was even on Heartbreaker. Yeah, it's kind of one of those ones like Pusha T popping up on a Pixie Lot song. It happens, you take notice of it, and then your brain just kind of vacuums it away for the rest of yeah, time. Yeah, and the song would be perfectly fine without Jay-Z on it. Uh, As is the case with a lot of fans, songs. Like Heartbreaker always felt to me like a bit 
like of a retread of fantasy which is the superior song i think it just might be the genius of love sample but that's that's what i'm saying you're gonna get no argument from me here craig um yeah are we pro mariah we're not not pro mariah but i wasn't aware that we were that we were hitching our colors to the mast here I mean, she's not like one of the patron saints of the show. She's not, she hasn't ascended to Frank Ocean's levels yet, but um, yeah, I think so, right? She's been through a time she's of been through she the seems mill. pretty She seems cool. cool. Yeah. She's good to have around. Um, it's a very, um, sorry, I must say, it's actually like looking over this now. It's a, bit, it's a very tabloid-esque news section that we have this week in general. It's been a quiet news week, so we, much as I was saying, <laughs> fuck the sun, <laughs> thank you to all of those it. red tops that have given us content. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah my favorite bit was that line that she used um from she quoted Izzo she said to the people who make up these lies I say poof vamoose son of a bitch um which is of course one of Jay-Z's greatest tracks and is of course produced by Mr. Kanye West so um that's another check for Mariah that's pretty good yeah um what I was alluding to earlier on though was casting my eye over the short enough news section we have this week because it's been it's been an extremely quiet week I think everyone just went mental I mean obviously right now we're recording this in the midst of um the first gig of the year first gig of the year and a half is happening the oh, James yeah. Vince McMorrow gig it's James Vince McMorrow day of course so everyone's just kind of distracted I suppose by the return I'm of live music for Ireland. everyone <laughs> are you would you've gone I mean I didn't even bother trying I was like fuck it I don't really like um no I I don't think so um like a lot of his music, but I don't know if it's the kind of show I needed to go to as my first venture back. Particularly with the humidity, like you want a kind of party atmosphere, a carnival atmosphere. I don't know if James, for all his ability, quite brings that. Could be wrong. But yeah, James Vincent Morrow, National Concert Hall. I'm not sure. Well, you know, I mean, that, well, that's us never getting him on the show, so good job. Um, second of all, I would say that uh, it's, it's, I think it's actually in the Ivy Gardens, it's through the concert I'm hall. I'm talking, but like, of course, about the tone of the show, not the quality. <laughs> <laughs> it's more like, there's just something, I think there's a lot of pressure on it, like, there's a lot of pressure for it to be a thing, and for, like, and also, of like, course, I mean, yeah. like, I'm sure there'll be plenty of weepy fucking tweets and weepy Instagram stories and lots of crocodile theories, you know, lots of like, I was there. And I've no, yeah. I've no time for that, especially, especially yeah, as you say, especially in this heat. But uh, we talk about heat. You think about Heat Magazine, for example. That was a thing that started out as an entertainment thing and then very quickly turned into tabloid scum. But like I say, all of our stories are kind of tabloidy this week, but we're here to kind of rage against them. What else you got for me, Craig? Uh, back to the sun. <laughs> <laughs> Your favourite. Quite an endearing story, though, in fairness. Um, another absolute um, legend in terms of singers, Amy Winehouse. Um, her anniversary is coming up, uh, the 10th anniversary next month, I believe. Um, there's a book on the way because, of course, there is um, Amy Memories of Amy Winehouse written by Tyler James who I believe actually had his own kind of addiction issues and she kind of helped him through it and he was a contestant on like the voice uk he's got his own story anyway so um but he's got a couple of interesting anecdotes the one that stood out was amy winehouse and barbara windsor peggy from eastenders used to reenact old eastenders scripts um when winehouse would leave rehab and just like head around barbara windsor's gaff because it was nearby apparently um and that's kind of what they got up to intriguingly though when barbara would dig out the scripts it would be Amy playing Peggy Mitchell, who's Windsor's character, and then Barbara Windsor would play Pat Butcher, her longtime friend and rival. I don't know if you ever watched EastEnders. Were you EastEnders head, Dave? When I was younger, I think when I was a teenager, uh, I, I, I went through a phase. It was usually kind of school related in some respects because I used to watch Neighbours and Home and Away on my break. 
and I guess I'd watch EastEnders in the evening. And then I don't I know what... I like the, um, the Steve... Steve Allen, was it? No, it was Johnny Allen, but prior to that, Steve... Martin Kemp's character. That was a good era, I think. Oh, all the Martin Kemp stuff, yeah. Um, I, I, I just kind of... There was nothing that specifically triggered it, but one day I just gave up soaps forever, and I was like, I think because I think I think I think I realized I was like, these are never going to end. Like this yeah. is like like <laughs> there's there no is, real payoff. It's all like, they're, the they're never going to be cancelled. Like I mean, like they just and and it's on four to five times a week. I was like, this is just way too much. And yeah, and also almost especially in the case of EastEnders, exclusively grim. So I was like, I can't oh, keep totally. doing this. Like yeah, Christmas in Walford is just grim central. Um, this story did remind me of like. Another pal of Amy Winehouse's Pete Doherty, and there was a weird EastEnders connection there as well years ago, where when he was kind of really going through it, June Brown, who like played Dot Cotton, like her nephew, I think, had addiction problems, and June Brown made a kind of very public show of like getting Pete Doherty to like go to rehab in Thailand, and there was a whole intervention there from fucking Dot, which was excellent. Um, and you would though, wouldn't you? you? I mean, if she showed up at your door and she was like, have "You have to, to you have to change your life, like you have to improve your life right now," you'd be like, "Okay, fine, yeah, sorry, I don't want to let you down." Yeah, first of all, you'd be like, "Am I still high?" Then yeah. <laughs> Who made you come here? Well, it was uh, <laughs> sort of yeah, beloved. Moments of clarity don't come much <laughs> clearer than fucking Dot Cotton rocking up on your doorstep. Time to sort it out, mate. Yeah, and speaking of big moments, um, Pride Month, obviously, we're in the midst of it at the moment. Happy Pride Rob, Month to all the celebrate. Yeah. Also, seamless link, Craig. Nice work. Thank you very much. I've learned from the best. Uh, Rob Halford has been speaking about um, coming out on MTV and what a glorious moment it, and free moment it was for him back in the 90s. Rob Halford, um, frontman for Judas Priest. And, um, you know, it was one of those things for a number of years. It seemed like he might be gay and there was kind of rumours, but he never kind of clarified it and he felt like a lot of pressure. But uh, in the event, actually, uh, it turned out that it was, he just kind of let it slip. Um, so, yeah, he was talking to Apple Music, not the sun this time, thankfully. He says it was one of those things where I'm at MTV in New York. I'm talking about a project that I was working on. Still the rounds and ended up at MTV talking about it. And in the casual course of the conversation, we we're talking about the overall music, the direction and the feelings. And I said something to the effect of, well, speaking as a gay man, yada, yada, yada. And then I heard the producer's clipboard bounce on the floor. It was one of those sharp intakes. Oh, my God, he's come out. And that was it. It was very simple. And he kind of goes on to say, you know, his struggles over the years. It seemed like he was in a position where within the band itself, he felt very secure and safe, which was great to hear. And, you know, we've spoken before about heavy metal and metal kind of circles often being a lot more accepting than um, the kind of aesthetic might lead you to belief. Um, but it seems like he was in a good place in that regard. But it was, of course, the considerations at, you know, in that era of like, will I upset my mom, he says, and dad. Um, better not come out because I'll upset my friends and then the concerns about fans and the record company and all that stuff. Now, this didn't happen until about 1998. So, yeah, it was a real kind of time of it. This was around about, you know, George Michael coming out and um, getting stitched up in that bathroom and then the whole Parkinson kind of interview, which he handled gloriously and um, delivering outside, which is just an absolute anthem and came through it with aplomb, as did Rob. So applause for those guys and everyone else gone through it. Yeah, very much so. I mean, like, it's weird, like, looking back on, like, Judas Priest's, like, their heyday, and, like, Rob Halford is dressed like... Yeah, it's, it's like the caricature of... <laughs> he looks like a like a Streets Rage 2 sub-boss, just 
covered in leather and it's like it's kind of like how did how is this a shock but like at the same time of course i don't know maybe like no one really thought about it and it's it is it's nice and kind of refreshing a rare example of youtube comments when you go on to like i looked up this interview that you allude to and just a lot of the comments were people being like you know they're like i don't give a fuck i love judas priest like like, he's amazing he's the metal god like so that is great and yeah it's weird like metal can be this surprisingly i guess to some degree accepting arena um you mentioned george michael um, I saw a clip doing the rounds on Twitter just today, actually, because there's a story doing the rounds, like to bring it back to tabloid for a second. I'm not going to get into it too much because it's just pathetic. The front page of The Sun today is Noel Gallagher calling out Prince Harry for being a, quote, you know, woke snowflake cunt or whatever the fuck it is he's saying. <laughs> and at one stage he goes, he goes, I always thought of myself as the William of of the Gallagher brothers. And I'm like, I don't think that's anywhere near as cool as you think it sounds, Noel. But of course, he's giving out about uh, him and Meghan and just being... The increasing Brexit rent to quote asshole that Noel Gallagher has evolved into. Like, he was always annoying, but he had a bit of charm, I think, maybe even 10 years ago. Yeah, he that, was that's gone. And, he, and you know what? He, he actually seemed like quite a personable, kind of like down to earth level headed dude. I don't know if it's just like at a certain age and with a certain amount of money, maybe everyone just turns into a bit of a thor- Tory. Like, do you know what I mean? It just, I don't know. He seems to have taken well, a shift. For the worst. Also, well, he has. But then again, to be fair as well, I mean, like, or, you know, maybe to correct myself, like, I, like, there's this thing. So this clip I saw during the round today is George Michael speaking on the BBC. It must have been in the early 2000s. And I'm going to play the clip in a second because it was just an, an incredible reminder of the kind of class that George Michael had um, and the class that Noel Gallagher does not have. And um, basically, like, Noel Gallagher was being interviewed backstage at a festival and he was talking about whatever i think was it shoot the dog or something like a bad george michael song that george michael put out he was getting out about gorillas and then he was giving out about uh george michael like getting political. yeah that would have been the same area yeah yeah he was giving out about george michael getting political in his lyrics and he said like for someone who hid uh who he was from the world for 20 years to now be telling us all oh, to be critical of the world he was like that's absolutely fucking laughable to me and it's just like, what a horrendous, horrendous attitude to have. So that was put to George Michael. He was talking to, it may have been Andrew Neil or one of the fucking blowhards the BBC had back in the day. But like I say, I just saw this clip. It's been a minute and a half long. I looked at it earlier on and it actually had weird parallels to the Rob Halford stuff as well. And just the idea of media in particular kind of demonizing you for your sexuality and meaning that prominent gay singers and entertainers were completely unable to live life on their own terms until one day it comes and then they're like, well, fuck this, I'm, I've had enough. So this is George Michael responding to Noel Gallagher quite brilliantly and also cool. just kind of giving a good a good state of affairs about a really bad culture. A lot of criticism, as you say, you mm-hmm. walked into danger. And I'll take a lot more. Noel Gallagher says George is now trying to make social comment. This is the guy who hid who he actually was from the public for 20 years. Now all of a sudden he's going to say something about the world. I find it laughable. That's before you get to the song, well, I mean, which is I diabolical. Think, what do you I think, think that's that? a laughable statement. What the fact that I did not want to share my sexuality with the world in this, in, in this current media um, media uh, atmosphere. The fact that I didn't want to share my sexuality with the world means that I have no right to talk about politics. This is not an intelligent man. He's not someone you should throw quotes at me from, really. If you're going to find criticism, find it from Mr. Murdoch. You know, Mr. Murdoch attacked me solidly on Sky News, in the New York Post, and in the Sun. And what he would do would be he would print these slurs in the New York Post in such a way that when they reprinted them in the Sun, its sister newspaper, I could only sue on the basis of it being reprinted from the American source. And the American source would have been much harder to sue. So I, there was a campaign... What worries you about the New York Post? 
Well, what shouldn't worry me about the New York Post? It's a fascist newspaper. A washed-up pervert. Well, that would... Say, why should I worry about that? Apart from the fact... I mean, really, it's no... Why would I worry about that? I don't worry about the Daily Star. I don't worry about the Daily... You know, the, the uh, sport. I don't worry about the sun or the mirror. Why would I worry about that? I, I do find it absolutely unbelievable that they're able to call a homosexual man a pervert for having been caught cruising. I do find that quite laughable, that that is not suable. Just the incredible poetry and eloquence too, and so yeah. dignified as well. I mean, like, like, like I say, like, like when I say bad culture, I'm very much referring, of course, to just horrendous tabloid media and... You know, like having like the sexuality of another human being as sport for their for their front pages, like it's it's it hasn't hasn't fully gone away. It might never. Um, and it's interesting as well, even like now, like it is Pride Month, and like I say, full fucking support and happiness and celebration for everyone who is celebrating that. But then it but it also turns into like it's now a brand thing, and the amount of fucking brands oh, yeah. that are just like ponying up to deck themselves in a rainbow flag, like it's just like that in itself like is quite exploitative i suppose but yeah i thought the rob halford story was lovely i thought the way that he kind of talked about how eventually like you know it led to an incredible sense of freedom and he's inspired other people of course and as well for like a frontman of a prominent metal band in this you know big macho tough fucking you know environment i guess it, it can only be a good thing so you know fair play to him and obviously once again rest in peace george michael anytime i go back to george michael whether it's his music or his interviews i find myself being like i really didn't appreciate him when he was live I really, really didn't, and I, I think oh, he was—he was incredible. He was absolutely amazing. Incredible. Um, yeah, I, I was—I went back to listen without prejudice recently, and it's just one of the more underrated ones. Um, maybe it's a bit hipster of me, but yeah, so so good. And dealing with all those issues, and just coming off the back of like this kind of globe straddling pop album, and him just kind of doubling down on stuff that really matters to him. It's just kind of very brave artistically. He's very much missed. And finally, I guess in the new section, uh, another artist with. A disarming kind of openness and grace, Kid Cuddy, um, another friend of the show for sure. He's been talking about his mental health struggles. Uh, it seems like sadly at the moment he's not in the best place. Um, he's admitted that sadness eats away at him sometimes. Um, he's of course been, you know, hugely vocal about his battle with anxiety and depression. Um, said a lot about it on social media. And he's taken to Instagram to kind of share a message with fans about where he's at currently and just kind of keep the dialogue going. And he says, you know, God has better days waiting for me. I just know it. Um, So, yeah, it seems like he's not in a great place, but kind of ends with an optimistic note. I tried to have faith in light. Uh, Please believe. Most recently, I guess, um, we saw him on... I really do actually need to spend more time with that last album, Man on the Moon uh, 3. came out just before Christmas, I believe, and I just haven't got around to it, but I always enjoy his stuff. He was on SNL recently, where he did a kind of really cool tribute to Kurt Cobain, again, on his anniversary, round about his anniversary, wearing the kind of floral dress. I think it was an off-white branded thing. Um, the cardigan, just like really iconic look, and what a tremendous talent, and a good dude by all accounts. Yeah, I was um, uh, like, I was quite sad to see this story because regulars in the show will know, of course, that the Kids See Ghosts album he did with Kanye West in particular had a huge, huge, huge positive impact on me and, and my mental health struggles. Particularly, it hit me at a time when I was in a very, very bad place, and it did actually like physically lift me and help me greatly, and it continues to. Um, I th- yeah, I think some of his work can can, can have that kind of transformative effect. Um. We love him for his flaws as well. I think, you know, his albums yeah. can be very kind of cluttered. Even that new one, which I actually listened to today, just off the back of this story. It's got some gems on there. It's got some filler. It's kind of what Cuddy is. He's kind of a like an all or nothing kind of guy. Um, and yeah, it's it, like, I feel very protective of him. 
I think, yeah. especially in the last few years, because he's given so much empathy to other people and people know it and they recognize that and they reach out for him. And it was kind of like, it was sad, but it was, yeah, there is obviously some optimism in there. And also, it's, but also, you know, like it's, it's, it's good. Like he's always been honest. He's always been incredibly upfront about his struggles and has been, I guess, provides uh, relatability to a lot of people um, in that regard. And actually one of those people, like it's funny because the article I read like tailed off with how, and I missed this like about, about a month ago, uh, Pete Davidson did an interview and he said that if yeah. it wasn't for, if it wasn't for Man on the Moon, he said like, I, I'm not sure I would be here. That's so much of an effect that album had on him. And actually, I know that you watched The King of Staten Island last weekend. I was going to say, yeah, yeah. Interesting synchronicity here. Um, after you kind of very much encouraging me to do so, um, for quite a while, typical Craig, but yeah, no, I really, really enjoyed it. That was great. Um, it was kind of nice to get back to a kind of Judd Apatow comedy after so many years. Like even the kind of improv kind of, you know, indulgent bits at times felt fresh because it'd been such a long time since that's, I'd seen that kind of style done. Um, Pete Davidson's kind of magnetic in the central role. Bill Burr's incredible. What I love is... There's no out-and-out villains of the piece. Everyone's got shades of kind of grey and people are working through their shit, but they're all kind of, they've good hearts at the, you know, which you don't often get in comedies. I thought it was great and the soundtrack was great and I had Cuddy in it and it was just a really enjoyable, moving evening, yeah. Yeah, I think it's a really sweet film and the music in it is brilliant. It ends with uh, Kid Cuddy's Pursuit of Happiness and when that comes on, it's it's such a dopamine rush and it does make you feel better and it makes you feel like things are possible. Kid Cuddy's music makes me feel like things are possible, like there are better days ahead and that you can better yourself and you can enjoy life. So I hope he gets well soon. I'm a huge, huge fan of him as a person and... Yeah, it was it was it was a weird week. I think a lot of the stories, like like particularly the last couple, like are like extremely personal, and that's kind of you know I, I love to see that in music and in the world of music and talk about it on the show. But obviously, you know, it, it can it can hurt you as well when someone that you kind of love in that parasocial way is struggling. So, all love in the world to Kid Cudi, and I guess a lot of love in the world, Craig, at the moment for Wolf Alice. They are the subject of our new album review, our latest album review. It's their time to shine. This album is called Blue Weekend. It's their third long player effort. And this song is called How Can I Make It Okay? Fallas there are very much getting their M83 Saturdays Equal Youth era kind of shine on, yeah. I think. And that comes from their new album, Blue Weekend. For Sonic Architect Adam, told us off Mike. for him, it's an 8.5 out of 10. We'll see what Craig and I make of it in about 15 minutes or so. Uh, who are they, Craig, and what's all this buzz about? Well, Dave, they're a rock and roll four-piece. Um, started as a folk duo, I think, about um, about 2010. Um fronted by Ellie Russell um, from London. They've had plenty, plenty of kind of accolades and commercial success, as we said. Um, they should actually be kind of destined for certain doom now after winning the Mercury Prize a second time of nomination. Um, although I think that hoodoo's maybe been broken in recent years. But yeah, Visions of a Life from 2017. Showcase maybe more robust sound than the d- debut, but it did like double down on their divergent tastes, I guess. They're quite malleable but they always deliver kind of meticulously crafted stuff. Um, So you'll get kind of like poppy, hardcore bursts alongside like oceans of dream pop synths and yeah, M83 stuff. And yeah, it all kind of is 
tied together and sounding very charitable I guess Don't Delete the Kisses from the last record was probably one of the songs that sounded like they could be destined for massive things we talked about at the time and to get like suitably massive they've enlisted uh, Marcus Draves 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 um, Coldplay producer Florence producer um, most notably Arcade Fire producer they'd come to Brussels to um the ICP Studios, which I don't think has anything sadly to do with Insane Clown Posse. Stop the review. <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Things are going to get a, take a turn for the weird. Um, yeah, but they had it like down apparently in early 2020 and then like lockdown happened while they're still in Brussels and they didn't really have anything else to do. So they started like going over everything with a, fi- a fine tooth comb and it's just made the resulting record far more detailed the band says they put a lot more effort into getting everything right by the same token they've said uh, which we often find with bands in their position around the third album that they're at a point where they're quite confident um they're not really thinking about like what people expect of them um and yeah ellie's talked about you know she's a bit older she's a bit more experienced not to the extent where you're like i don't care what anyone thinks anymore they still care but um as you can kind of hear from the record they care dave do you care uh nice i do care yeah i they're good they're a band that i quite like i like that second album quite a bit the first one's good too um they'll always give you one or two or three very good songs per record and don't delete the kisses in 2017 i think if it wasn't for the presence of territory by the blaze and something to remember me by by the horrors then don't delete the kisses probably would have been my song of the year i think it was my my bronze medal that year it's a wonderful beautiful song (laughs) <laughs> highly relatable you know walking home drunk pining for the person you love etc um yeah, yeah and, and she's good at that and she's got a lot i mean she's she's like uh, there was a moment during the week when i was listening to this and i was thinking i don't know if it's if it's versatile or diverse enough because but then maybe it is i mean like they have on this one for example they got a song called play the greatest hits which like they'll give you one of those like it's very similar to yuk fu from the last record they'll give you like a song to esque two to two and a half minute belter where she's kind of turning into a a screamo kind of front woman for a second and it doesn't feel too off with them i mean a lot of their stuff is mellow to a degree and like you know searching and pleasant and emotive in that way but they can do like a fucking full-on punk song out of nowhere and it it doesn't it doesn't feel too try on for me it they just about get away with it and i think a lot of that is that first of all they're very good musicians and second of all i think ellie russell is an excellent front woman um i I, like she's very believable very viable she's very cool um and like seeing her in interviews as well i mean like she it's funny because you you said like you know it's not that she doesn't care she still cares she certainly does but she also kind of doesn't give a fuck i think in terms of like she won't be marketed the way that like other, I think, female artists might be. And I read an interview with them there from the last album where they talked about some of the some of the record label meetings or executive meetings they were in and how they were like, well, you can be Florence the Machine or you can be Evanescence. And they were like, fuck off. Like, so um, they, they're grounded. They seem like grounded people. I saw them live. Uh, I think it was Olympia. Very good gig something's missing i don't know what it is i mean like i'm a bit surprised by some of the reviews of this like your boy alexis petretis and the guardian uh gave it five stars and like seemed to be if you read his review which i'm sure you did he seemed to be like really blown away even like the first part of anointing them as like this is very much so yeah like like yeah because i think the independent in the uk were like are they the new best band in Britain? Like, etc. So, but uh, yeah, Big Alexis was very much just like, this is incredible. Like, like this is clearly in, in, amazing and unique and singular and brilliant. And I don't know if it is. Um, I also simultaneously found myself thinking how I wonder if I need to transpose my 
Bombay Bicycle Club are the ultimate 7 out of 10 band to Wolf Alice, but I think that might not be fair. They're good. The songs are really good. I didn't really connect to it, though. Usually I try and avoid other reviews uh, just when I'm kind of going through my process and doing my five listens minimum. Um, But I was struck by the BBC actually having like a ready-made clippings of reviews. Like, you know, you're kind of in big album territory where the BBC runs a news story that's just compiling all the reviews and being like, look at this. Um, Kind of look at this story around them. Um, So yeah, The Guardian was five stars. Um, Big Alexis, so I'm glad you you tagged him and yeah he was like there was like radiohead comparisons almost there where he's just like everything clicking into place and the independent as well yeah and at times saying this is you know they're going to be one of the great modern british bands which again seems like you know dooming them and so on and if you asked me on tuesday when i was listening to this what would i say and would i agree i would kind of be like effective i know really because i was listening to it and i was enjoying it and then i was not really remembering too much about it or having a whole lot to say about it now it's definitely come into focus a lot more in the last couple of days and i think actually it's the kind of record where i want more of a lived-in context for these songs like they you know they seem built for communal moments and kind of being out there um which we haven't really been as yet it's coming back but uh even just reading some interviews with them um Kind of reminded of Noel Gallagher and him always <laughs> talking about <laughs> writing Supersonic and how he knew Oasis were going to be massive. It was because it was one of those ones where he's just like, it took 15 minutes to write. But then when they actually recorded it that night, they were like driving home or driving around and blasting it out of the car. And the way it sounded in the car made them realize, oh, my God, we're going to be massive. And... Ellie's actually talked about doing the kind of same type of stuff with their songs in the past. And this time around, apparently they've kind of been muting movie or TV trailers, just playing YouTube and then playing the tracks over the top of them as like a litmus test to see if the emotion of the song works, which is like a really good idea, but also maybe tells you about where their ambition is and what they're aiming for. Like they're kind of aiming for the cheap seats to, you know, a large extent. I actually think the ambition though, like they wear it well. Um, I think they're adept at doing those kind of songs. But some of those bigger kind of songs where you do get like two old school M83 gargantuan synths and big anthems, they don't hugely connect with me all of the time. I can admire the kind of precision pop that's there, but it just feels like this is extremely well done and why am I not completely in love with it? Um, Which is... It sounds... It's very much damning with faint praise. I enjoyed it a lot more than that sounds... Um, I'm eternally in praise of the brevity of this record, of course. They do kind of switch up styles. After a few listens, it does reveal itself. I like the short run times of tracks as well. It's got a kind of tamer white album feel, maybe even Father of the Bride. Um, and we are in the land of kind of retro futurism where there's a lot of influences there that they're putting together in quite a kind of natural way. Almost at times I'm reminded of like the 1975, where they, they seem to be on that level Wolf Alistair may be leaning into the 90s rock aspects a bit more rather They're than the They're on kind of the same cheese. label, I think, Dirty Hit, are they? Really? Okay. I believe yeah, yeah. so, yeah. That, that would make sense. And yeah, even the Screamo thing, like, you know, the last 1975 um, record with people um, where it kind of comes out of nowhere. And we get that here. And I think it actually does work. I think it'll be divisive for some people, but I think they're good at that kind of thing and it's this kind of enjoyable giddy k-pop by way of grimes doing like the offspring or something i'm fine with it uh but as i say it's probably the more mannered accomplished songs that i'm 
feeling a bit less. But there's there's some excellent stuff on this. Like Delicious Things, I think is really good. I think I agree with you. I think lyrically, um, she can be spot on great. She can really encapsulate that kind of millennial angst which we could roll our eyes at but she actually does it in a kind of novel personal way um that just kind of shows what a star she kind of is and could be um and there's other times where i'm like like the lead single i think was the last man on earth and that felt like a damp kind of piano led squib for me it's just kind of it's, it was so by numbers but then immediately you have no hard feelings which i think is maybe one of my tracks of the year it's just this lovely murmur over kind of jose gonzalez chords and it works really well and you do get these spikes where i'm like this is very accomplished it's really well done i could listen to this forever um and i think a lot of people will be listening to this for quite a long time i'm going to give it 7.5 verging on 8 because i think it is really good and i'm going to go back to it but i'm still waiting for that moment i don't know if that moment's going to come where it clicks into place yeah very similar for me as well i kept waiting for it to hit that new level and the more i listened to it the more i was like this is very clearly good um but i'm just not quite getting it uh there is one track in particular that kind of really bugged me which is called safe from heartbreak open brackets uh if you never fall in love close brackets and that song to me is like simultaneously like the There's good sweetness there for sure it's insane it's crazy tweet but like her vocal is like really good in it and it's a very, it's a nice showcase for her it's kind of a deft little dance but at the same time the kind of melody on it and just the arrangement the way it's put together and what it is i mean not to break myself all over again and reference the medieval tavern owner from last week's black midi review but like this song could be played on a fucking lute right uh, like like at a you know at, 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 at like a shakespeare <laughs> revival festival on a hill yeah. in you know somerset would be all over that, yeah. it's way too precious so that's the weird thing with them i mean like they can They're be a bit precious occasionally kind of two-mannered are they like yeah you maybe. Know, i made the 1975 comparison and we often give out about maddie healy and he can be ridiculous but sometimes we've talked about it the same way we talk about Bono. Sometimes being a bit of a buffoon is actually really good because you end up doing stuff that's slightly beyond your comfort zone and come up with stuff that really hits home in a new way, which I don't know if Wolf Alice quite have those huge moments for me. Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately with this and with... I, I'm just surprised that this is the album that has led to the crowning of them. First of all, I thought, like, was that not the second album? And now with this, to me, it speaks to a couple of things. It speaks to a dearth of, quote unquote, great British bands of the modern era. And I think music industry press almost panicking a little bit and being like, well, we need someone. You know, we need we, we have to have one now. And I guess Wolf Alice will do. It's a good album. They're likable. Um, they're marketable. They seem cool. They have fans that are quite fervent. I do, I do like Ellie Russell, especially. I think she's I think she's kind of the the MVP of this band. And fair play to them. Mm-hmm. It's good. But for me right now, it's a 7. Verging on a 7.5 if you're really feeling it, which I've yet to fully. And that yeah, sounds about right. is Blue Weekend by Wolf Alice. Check it out. A lot of people like it. So uh, Adam Chenner, Sonic Architect, who's <laughs> frowning at us right now. <laughs> Arms folded, I believe. Oh, we've got a thumbs up. <laughs> yeah, it's okay oh, to move oh, on. Oh, he's typing something. No, he's not. Uh, so... <laughs> <laughs> we'll hear from him again, I'm sure. Right, uh, that's the album review, which means, of course, it's time for our top five. Craig, what's the story with this one? Yeah, so we were trying to come up with something football sports related and it wasn't quite happening. We've done a lot of that. We maybe should have just played um, Zinedine Zidane by Vaudeville Smash ten times in a row, Dave. I think not, that would have been not magical. Not the worst suggestion of all time. Yeah, like, <laughs> we've decided to go with <laughs> top five songs about winners and losers. Um 
very fertile ground for sure. So, you know, this can be everything from affairs of the heart, like expressed as a competition, you know, ding, 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 ding. I was, <laughs> I was yeah. just going to say, I was going to say, would it shock you, Craig, if the vast majority of my top five are kind oh. of not really about sporting contests at all, more about uh, wayward <laughs> stumbles, yeah, essentially. <laughs> Yeah, you know, could be feeling like you're on top of the world or feeling like you're at the bottom of the stairs. I'm tired of crying on the stairs, Dave, to deliver a little blue Nile Easter egg there. But yeah, um, I think there'll be, I don't know, my kind of, my parameters were a bit like I, I wanted to include songs that just had specific callouts to winning or losing because that just made it easier for me. Your rules might be a little different. Like in this case, we're playing the same game, but our rules might be very different. So we crack yeah. into it. Well, yeah, yeah. My initial suggestion was, should we go, like, do you want to take winners? I'll take losers. And you were like, no, nah, let's keep it broad. So I guess it's a bit of both in mine. But like, I guess you, you know can me, have... I like a broad. You, <laughs> you can't have winning without losing. And so I'll kick it off this week, shall I? Uh, so yes, top five so. songs about winners and losers. And... Uh, for for just for a change, I've opted for an instrumental track from a film. Here we go. Epic stuff there from the one and the only Hans Zimmer. This song, Craig, and you'll love this, is called Lost But One. So I think I've won the top five already. I've managed to incorporate the brief. He always understands the assignment. His name is Dave Hanready. Right. I thought you might go for Chariots of Fire. We'd get um, very victorious. But no, it was more intense than that. Yeah, it's a motive. Um, so this is uh, this is from the film Rush. Uh, have you seen Rush? It's by, directed by Ron Howard. It came out in 2013. And it's about the real life Formula One rivalry between... Uh, British driver James Hunt and Austrian rival Nicky Lauda and the film stars Chris Hemsworth and Daniel Bruhl in those roles and for a Ron Howard film Craig it's really fucking good have you seen it? (laughs) I have not I've seen Rush Hour is it similar? Very similar, yeah. They fight crime okay. and quip every other minute. And there's <laughs> all, all kinds of questionable racial stereotypes songs. <laughs> that have not aged well. Uh, Rush is, it's really good. It's a very good popcorn movie. And it's funny because like, like I watched, I finally got around to Ford versus Ferrari or Le Mans 66, as it's also known, this week, which as everyone has described is the ultimate Sunday afternoon dad movie. That's the one with Christian Bale and Matt Damon about Le Mans 66, Ford versus Ferrari. And it, it was good. Um, it didn't blow me away. I didn't think it would, though. I kind of knew it was going to be somewhere in the middle. But it's certainly very enjoyable. But what what struck me the most, though, about that film was the score and the soundtrack were terrible. Like, they were just really kind of crap. There was just, like, lots of weird bluegrass kind of country and just oh. annoying kind of, like, I don't know, like, blues guitar or something. Whereas in a film like Rush, Hans Zimmer is... Uh, bebopping and scatting all over that thing, Craig. Like, it's, it's absolutely tremendous work from the man or whatever team he had under him uh, in 2013. And also, like, you know, there's some classic rock songs in there but like by, like, Steve Winwood, Thin Lizzy, and David Bowie. So I would highly recommend this film. It's, it's right up your street. And it is quite good. And this track in particular plays towards the end. I won't say who loses or who wins because you may not know the history. But... It kind of has it all in there. It has a beautiful kind of post-rocky kind of almost overhead the, uh, 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 overhead the albatross-esque 
try and say that um, <laughs> thing going on. And it's it's funny because like, and maybe this says a lot more about me than about whatever, but every time that kind of tremolo guitar that came in there, you heard, I can't help but picture the wonderful Vinnie Casey of Overhead the Albatross playing Oh, it. that's always a good image. Oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> Absolutely beautiful. Who could forget the time when Craig and I were at Electric Picnic and Overhead were kind of still rising on the scene and they were playing at some kind of side side off stage somewhere. Craig and I are having a typically stressful day. We got away for a little bit and we walked up the hill. We and overhead were on stage in the middle of a song. Vinny saw us walking up and gave us a wink. And let me tell you, Craig, greatest moments of my life. <laughs> we went from losers to winners in that moment. I think you will agree. Huzzah! Very well done, and leads nicely into my number five. Um, now this is like our most controversial top five in recent times put us in mind of this one. It was songs about driving. We've gotten so much driving. fucking grief over that top five. I know, I know. Um, I stand by our list though. I think we, we gave our rationales and um, anyway, moving on. Yeah, this this one couldn't have fit in given those rationales, though the video did um, bring to mind driving, of course. It was from Gran Turismo. Happily, it fits here perfectly. Let's go. Talk about on brief. <laughs> I'm getting applause from Dave. It's the Cardigans, my favorite Amazing game. choice. What a choice. Uh, ni- 1998, uh, the eve of humanity's moment in the sun. Uh, big PlayStation vibes from that one. It ended up, I think, in Gran Turismo 2, um, which wasn't quite kismet. Like, I feel like Gran Turismo was out. The Cardigans were making this album. They saw, like, Manson and Garbage were on the first soundtrack, and they're like, we'll just call it Gran Turismo. And it worked. Um, and I'm glad it did. I feel like... Uh, why doesn't this happen more often? Like, why didn't say like you know, embrace call an album Resident Evil or something around this time? Like, just why not go for really it? You embrace, know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Resident <laughs> Evil, first thing the happiest, <laughs> most sickeningly happy band. Oh <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, yeah, no, it's a good point. Um, I can see it. I really know so little about the Cardigans, fairness, but like Swedish Greg, I'll, I'll, I'll give you that one for free. They're from Sweden. <laughs> Nina Pearson, I believe, is the singer. <laughs> A razor wind. So there's like a trio of songs that are more than enough. And uh, yeah, so this is very much about like, you know, love is a losing game. Um, to paraphrase Amy Winehouse, which is another great song. Spoiler alert, it's not my top five. Um, but yeah, this is kind of like, it's actually a lot darker than the poppiness of it would have you believe. Um, and it's not really about losing out on love, but kind of having idealized notions of relationships or maybe trying to stick out like truly kind of toxic ones. Um because you're playing these games of like having a poor fantasy in your head that ends up in failure. Uh, so it can get quite dark and there is like grittier lyrics there. Like my heart is black and my body is blue is quite a literal lyric according to the band, um, which is interesting. It was written um, back in the summer of 1998, as I say, in Country Hell recording studio in Skurup, Sweden. And... Yeah, Nina Person talks about how she started with the chorus and just like married the music so quickly with um, the lyrics that you couldn't tear them apart. So it was just like immediately onto a winner, one of those magical moments. And then she wrote the verses to kind of give that um, 
game team meaning and she could just cram in loads of lyrics which she doesn't really have on some of the bigger songs uh, the other big songs that they have it's really w- well written it's kind of precise it's on point and it initially apparently the first kind of go around to the song it was done like Neil Young's old man it was like a kind of slow country rock shuffle which I can't imagine working with this song whatsoever you need that propulsive thing and certainly if you want to feature in one of the premium racing games of the era and uh gladly they had a second take yeah this is one of my favorite songs probably ever um my favorite game the cardigans i think a race rewind is just as good maybe or very very close two of the best songs in the 90s by by a mile um i don't know if they're still active i don't think they are but i will say that they've got a they've got an incredibly underrated little gem from 2005 which i would recommend to anybody listening if no one's ever heard it a very nice little song called i need some fine wine and you you need to be nicer it's a great cardigan's number really really fun and yeah this song fucking rules man i'm so happy it finally made it into a top five i i I think i thought about it i think i did think about it for the driving one you probably did as well but we were like ah it's just a video you can't really but yeah victory prevails wonderful okay your go yeah number four for me um i mentioned earlier on don't leave the kisses by wolf alice and the idea of like stumbling home drunk and pining for someone that you know is just going to break your heart all over again so let's have a song that's all about exactly that Why yes, Craig, it is, of course, the Airborne Toxic Event and their big hit, Sometime Around Midnight, a song from 2008, which pretty much launched the band, I suppose, or at least brought them to some degree of mainstream consciousness for a brief time. Um, It was the second single off their album, actually, as it turns out. And again, that album has, has one other song that I would recommend called, oh God... This is me going blank on the spot. We talked about this recently where you're like, oh my God, like, like if you if you get asked a question why you got a live mic, you just forget everything. The song is called... It's the hot mic, man. Yeah. The <laughs> it's song humidity. It's very hot mic today. Uh, opening, uh, opening scenes of Die Hard 3 level heat. Uh, <laughs> the song I'm thinking of is called Does This Mean You're Moving On, which is a nice little caustic oh. affair. This one, um, the singer of the Airborne Toxic event, whose name is Mikkel Jolet or Jollet, uh, it's about how a night when he met a former girlfriend while out Jolet. at a bar Jolet is that correct? sorry sorry <laughs> no I don't know it should be I should know this I actually fucking interviewed them at like Oxygen 2010 or something or 2011 and they were very nice um, yeah this is about him meeting a former girlfriend while out at a bar during which he discovered that he still loved her and the entire band was present during this event it says <laughs> <laughs> the lyrics to the song it kind of a, it's as if he like stood on the table like oh my god I still love her and the rest of the band were just like yeah fucking you well done mate. The, the lyrics to the song were, were written in isolation though by him over the course of the next three days so no subtext here whatsoever Craig it's a true story about getting your heart broken and I love the little details I love how dramatic it is I love how just insanely heart on the sleeve stuff it is um, it's the kind of song that I guess I could understand if people were like that is trash that is just like annoying and way too cloying but uh 2008 era dave hanrody thought it was the truth <laughs> i think it goes far enough where it's like it's reveling in the shambling chaos of it like it's very much going home drunk like it, that's even in the lyrics isn't it right for 100 like, yeah yeah it's, yeah yeah it's a big vibe and i'm definitely here for it all right next up for me it's the lads. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, now it actually feels like summer. <laughs> yes, thank you. And we're in that bar. <laughs> this is prior to stumbling home. And things aren't going so well, but you're kind of enjoying it. It's um The Strokes, I Can't Win. It's the closer from Room on Fire. It's an SEC. It's a Stone Cold classic. I think it's kind of slept on a little bit. Um... But it's, you know, it kind of very much sums up early strokes. It's like it fits their MO perfectly. And I think, you know, as much as people go on about like their insouciant cool or, you know, their good looking, well-dressed, well-connected lads in Manhattan, I think people often forget the like level of self-loading and occasional like misanthropy of like your mate Julian Casablanca's lyrics. <laughs> he really is something of like a Lower East Side ER at times. And this song is about being a bit of a loner, apparently, uh, who just kind of gives up every time they're mo- motivated to do things. Nothing is going right. It ticks all the big Julian boxes. Um, and I think it's kind of like, it's a good showcase for how adept he is at a, as a lyricist, which I think isn't brought up that often, but he's just very... He's great at picking these, like, plucking these simple phrases out of the air and them just being extremely evocative. Um, Some nights come up empty-handed. And then just that kind of roaring payoff of, like, yes, I'll take it, where it's just, like, as I say, it kind of makes you nostalgic, even for the nights where you felt utterly downcast during and after it. And hopefully we shall return to those nights sometime soon. But, yeah, it's... um. It's a kind of triumphant end to that album. It's also clearly very much about his struggles with the music industry. Um, And yeah, just the kind of chorus is very much of like the record label not liking a lot of the stuff they were doing or the choices they were making and second guessing themselves. But ultimately there's victory there, Um, which made, I think, the new abnormal all the better because they kind of came good on that after some years in the wilderness. And it just felt like even the kind of guitar attack reminds me of I Can't Win on like the adults are talking and it's just like, okay, we're back. So had to be in for me. Is it fair to say that the Strokes career musically um, is just one big long night out? And if so, does anyone, (laughs) does anyone do it better? That's a great point, and I'm not sure if anyone does it better. Yeah, like, I'm just now thinking of, like, what, how are we charting the night out, and where are they at the moment? Are they, like, just recovered from the hangover and enjoying a brunch, having not really slept that much? Is that where we're at? Or are they still... Have they got their second wind? Have they just vomited in the toilets, and they're back, and they're doing the Jeremy Corbyn, like, clap your hands, I'm good to go? There's probably, like, a change of, you know, wardrobe along the way, and maybe, like, the locations change from album one to album number six. Is, is New Abnormal number six? I think it is. I believe so, yeah. Yeah. But I guess, like, like they capture they capture that energy. Like, you can see something. You can, like, you do place yourself on kind of, you know, I guess, neon-soaked streets or whatever with them the whole time. So, yeah, beautiful choice. Um, was there any contenders? Because obviously with the stroke, getting this kind of sentiment down to just one song. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, it could have been... <laughs> It could be in any number of songs. <laughs> you could make a case for most stroke songs. So that's why I came back to like the title totally works. Um, yeah, I don't know. Would you have gone for a different song? Like, is there any that spring to mind immediately? Because it is kind of just their career <laughs> to an extent. Yeah. It's a great, it's a great summary. Like if you wanted to encapsulate the strokes and you weren't going for like last night or something, I think this would be a great shout. Uh, yeah, I think depending on the night that you're having, like maybe New York City Cops would be kind of good. But I guess we've, you know, like I, I assume that's what the kids have been listening to on Set Within the Street in Dublin the last few, few, few nights out, yeah? <laughs> hey. uh, right, listen, we've been kind of beaten down so far. We're getting a bit bedraggled, so it's time to pick ourselves back up again. Let's go. This folk will never win. Well, look at me, I'm coming back again. I got a taste of love in a simple way. And if you need to know while I'm still standing, you just fade away. Don't you know I'm Better than I ever did Looking like a true survivor Feeling like a living 
Well, 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 it's Elton John. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm still standing. Beautiful song, I would say. And uh, it's all there in the lyrics, man. You know, like, did you think this fool could never win? Well, look at me. I'm a coming back again. I got a taste of love in a simple way. And if you need to know while I'm still standing, you just fade away. Uh, one of his best, do you think? Oh, yeah, definitely. It's top 10, Elton. Um Maybe it's, uh, is it as good as Crocodile Rock? I mean, I haven't listened to this 200 times in a row recently. Well, you're it's doing it wrong. It's more accomplished song. And yeah, in terms of, you know, Bernie Taupin on lyrics, um, he can come up with some clunkers sometimes and some weird things that I don't know how Elton makes it work. But when he delivers, he really, really does. And this is just one of those indelible songs, like The Sentiment. I don't know. It just feels like it's one of those songs. It feels like it's always been around. It's one of those songs that you just pluck out of the air. The sentiment, the vibe, everything. It's very necessary at certain moments. Yeah. I think that at this moment in our top five, it like it's given us that second wind we were just talking about. I put it at number three for that reason, because I thought that maybe, <laughs> maybe we need our spirits just like shot out of a cannon, perhaps. And I think with Elton John, uh, yeah, I think his best moments are like his... I think just his presence like and, and his ability, everything about him, speaks to, I think, tremendous humanity, vulnerability and resilience all at once. And there is yeah. kind of like, this song is an arm around the shoulder, right? It is literally someone like dusting you off and being like, come on, man, you can do it. Which is just like, it's yeah. It's a level, yeah. The, Maybe the, I can. Resilience is a really good word, word. That kind of, yeah, that defiance, that's kind of like part of his character and he can share with you. It's almost like a Kanye thing. I'm going to totally kill the mood now with um, <laughs> another New York outfit. Third time in a Craigslist and lucky for Dave because I promise this will be the height of their inclusions. I could not include this tale of um, a suburbanite who's dreaming of being a loser with a death wish. Let's bring it down, boys. Deacon Blues, uh, final appearance for Steely Dan. <laughs> is it? Is it the final appearance for Steely Dan, Craig? We'll is it? See. Okay. Maybe if I'm kicked off the show. Um, <laughs> taken from their 1977 masterpiece, Asia, uh, which is one of the most pristine, intoxicating listens you can imagine, Dave. Um, <laughs> sorry, that was. Yeah, the whole hal- album was like a clear, crisp sound and a new sheen of consumer professionalism. <laughs> They're really much the in songs. A big boost. <laughs> yeah. But um, this had to feature, uh, I was doing some reading, Rob Sheffield in Rolling Stone was talking about how like mythic loserdom is the, tr- the turf that Steely Dan chronicled like no other rock and roll band. So they had to get a shout. And yeah, they dwelled in Raymond Chandler's LA, not Brian Wilson's or Jackson Brown's, which I think is on point. And a large part of like the argument I make when people are like, they're just a bit too smooth. They're kind of yacht rock. And the argument is, well, they invented Yacht Rock, but they weren't Yacht Rock because they also completely identified with those losers and felt like separate from it and could do the seedy stuff and the snide stuff and the funny stuff, but also deliver just incredible tunes. Um, And this is kind of like a a midlife crisis song, I think, Um, just extremely kind of existential, but also melodic. And Donald Fagan's talked about like that chorus in particular. I just think it's so clever, as so many other choruses are, where it's talking about... um, the University of Alabama's football team, I think, is called the Crimson Tide. That's a nickname. And it's just this kind of nice little conceit of like, I'm gonna, if I'm going to be a loser, I might as well have like a kind of superhero nickname, which is cool, um, which is Deacon Blues. 
the whole narrative is basically this dude in his gaff kind of regretting some of his life choices and maybe like draining a whiskey and being like i wish i was like a jazz man <laughs> i wish i was in a band kind of drinking my life away and everything that comes with that and it just works so well and it works so perfectly within the context of steely dan because then they bring out like one of the best saxophonists like around tom scott um to do the horn arrangements and pete chris lieb then delivers this incredible solo um just after this great moment where he like steps up to the mic and it's all fantasy and it's like it's kind of fancy but it's also one of the best solos you can imagine so i just love that meta-ness of it all and yeah midlife crisis songs shouldn't sound this sumptuous dave we might need to pivot to that top five pretty soon, Craig, because I'm fairly certain I'm currently in the midst of one. So as for <laughs> rapidly heading forward, dude. <laughs> as for this current, uh, although you know vaccinations are opening up for for lads in their thirties next week, so that's pretty good. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. As for as for your selection here, Craig. Um, nice work and so <laughs> long, <Dad>. no. <laughs> so long, Steely Dan. We hardly knew ye. I don't even have a problem with them, but it's become a thing. I know, it's right. become a thing. Uh, my runner-up this week in the Winners and Losers songs, uh, it's time to play that major Teenage Dave anthem, Claxon. Ah, wonderful stuff. It's Blink-182, and the song is Damn It, taken from their second album, Dude Ranch, which I believe was the album that kind of came before the one that would break them on a mainstream appeal when Enemy of the State arrived. At, uh, Enemy of the State, yeah. <laughs> Which, that arrived, I believe, uh, I believe it was Summertime for Humanity, 99, when that came out, but this was, was 97, indeed. Craig. I think I worked backwards, actually, with this one, and when I got to this, it was like this incredible, amazing gem that just was wonderful. And it has everything I love about, about Blink-182. It has Mark Hoppus and vocals, who I prefer as a vocalist, even if he's not the greatest of all time. And it's just classic Blink, you know? I mean, yeah, there's some juvenile bullshit in there, because of course that's what they were, and that's what they were kind of looking at. But also, this is a song about being a teenager, and a song about getting your heart broken, and kind of feeling betrayed, and just, you know, life spinning around you, and the most dramatic hurt that you could ever possibly experience, and surely life could never get more difficult and complicated for you down the line when you're older. Um, It's all here. It has that kind of, you know, serious kind of summer innocence, and just, you know, kind of temporary moments like but hugely formative i guess and it's all wrapped up in yeah. for me it is one of their best songs like, like this probably in my top five maybe blinks i think it's um beautifully composed uh it has incredible energy to it it's really kind of vociferous it's very defiant really really good chorus and a song that i think has like stood the test of time for blink it's not even that well produced like it sounds scuzzy it reminds me as well of Back in the day in Drada, like I was friends with a like a couple of lads who were in a band that like they they basically just wanted to be Blink One Eighty Two, like that's what they were kind of modeling themselves on, and kind of hanging out with them in their shed and just hearing them play play kind of punk songs and just that whole whole kind of nostalgic tie in. This one's very very yeah. powerful for me, and yeah, it's it's about losing, but I think it is about like having kind of a moment with the self and actually kind of just like putting the bad stuff down and maybe trying to walk tall again it's all in there and it, like blinker one of those bands that you can you can dismiss they give a lot of reasons to do so but i do think when they get it right there's few better than them in their world at doing it this way well you know i've long maintained i will take blink over green day any day of the week um i feel like have we talked about this recently it hasn't been in the top five i don't think but it's it is a great song it's one of my favorite blink songs it feels like it's a bit of a no encore mainstay so a good choice 
And up next for me, I was kind of playing this like game of poker of like, will I include this one? Will Dave have this one? Where should I place it? I had to place it somewhere. It's the Ur text of songs about winners and losers. Poised devastation, superlative Scandinavian pop again. My runner up, more Swedes. I played all my cards, and that's what you've done too. Nothing more to say, no more ace to play. The winner takes it all, the loser standing small. Beside the victory, that's the destiny. Chills every time. <laughs> How does it do it, Dave? It's the winner takes it all, Abba. I wish people could have seen you throwing, like kicking the chair back across your room, looking at throwing the heavens. caution to the wind. <laughs> looking at the heavens and throwing your arms in the air as if Ireland had just scored the winning goal in the World Cup final. And then just like coming back into the sunlight as the song progressed. Yeah, it's a stunner. Uh, I knew you'd have it. I think I was talking to Zara Hedeman just last night and I said, I'm looking forward to doing the show tomorrow when Craig throws out the winner takes it all as his number one in the top five. But it's your <laughs> oh, number two. Yeah. I can't believe Bit it. Of a swerve. Um, I've had a few downers, Dave. Um, so I didn't really want to end on that. I think my number one is, um, ticks all the boxes as well. But like, this is just... This is a biggie from ABBA, maybe alongside Dancing Queen, it's the absolute pinnacle. Um, we had them before on, I think I picked them for anti-love songs, it was one of us. This could it's be the one of the first one well. we ever did, the first top five we ever did. Yeah, yeah, it was fun times. And like the kind of, um, the mythos around this is that it was about Bjorn and Agneta breaking up, uh, divorcing at the time. Um, they've maintained, no, it wasn't anything to do with their divorce. Um seems like it probably was certainly in Agneta's incredible like just so emotional um delivery you can kind of hear a lot of those emotions there but Bjorn has talked about kind of writing it and again it was one of those ones where uh it was him and Benny on some like um Swedish islands just kind of putting stuff together they were using like nonsense French words for the lyrics and then Bjorn kind of took this song home um he was drinking whiskey uh, he says it was one of the quickest lyrics he ever wrote. He was drunk and the whole thing of it, it, it came to him in a rush of emotion in like one hour. And then when he, he kind of played it back for her, um, she kind of welled up. And yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing to think like this was, they're only a year or two away from being completely done. Um, it's just such a kind of pinnacle for, I think, pop music in general. Um, it makes kind of divorce seem like the most glamorous thing in the world. <laughs> And but there's so many devastating lines. Like the opening of like I don't want to talk is iconic. Everything about it's iconic. I don't really need, need to say too much more. Um, it was worth just playing the clip for that like thirty seconds of transcendence. Yeah, there's always a tricky thing with ABBA where it's like, what can you possibly add? I did see someone on Twitter though recently. I forgot who it was, and they were kind of saying something to the effect of like, "Here's a hot take for you. ABBA are actually kind of underrated." And yeah, it just it was one of those things. Like, kind of shook my head and just moved on. You know, like th- thankfully, uh, can't remember who it was. But, you know, maybe something we can track down at some point in the future. You uh, can make a case for anything, Dave. You can. I'd like to hear the arguments. Well, That's what this show's all about. Well, listen, you said that you had the urtex there of winners and losers, songs about winners and losers. Oh. But I think I have it, Craig. And as a matter of fact, like, I was kind of struggling with this one because I was like, I was like, ah, you know, is it obvious? Should it be here? Is it ridiculous? And I thought about it and I was like, no, I think it actually should be the number one. And I think... 
Uh, I think it has it all for, for for sure. And I also think that like with me going in hard, as I often do on matters of the heart and being a bit abstract and trying to kind of drill down into subtext. Well, what could be more punk than me unveiling this as my number one? Sonic what have you done? <laughs> so, so, Never Sonic. crossed the stream, Dave. <laughs> Sonic Architect Adam is not happy at all. He does not endorse this. Craig, meanwhile, wheeled away in revelry at the inclusion, at the crowning of, of course, Bedil, Skinner and the Lightning Seeds. It's Three Lions and it's coming home. I think we can all agree. Uh, the song there references 30 years of hurt. It's actually 55 years of hurt now for the English nation when it comes to <laughs> not winning in a major tournament. Uh, I should start off by saying that number one, David Bedil can go fuck himself for his racist bullying of Nottingham Forest footballer Jason Lee back in the day. Number two, I've always oh, found, yeah. yeah, I've always found Frank Skinner as well to be an unbearably smug prick. And number he three, actually, I will, I will stick up for Frank Skinner. Any, sorry, finish your list. Number three, the lightning seeds have to be up there as far as excessively milk toast UK Indiacs of all time, right? But all that said, Craig, what an absolute fucking belter, right? I mean, I think we did have this in football songs way back when, and I think it's just, it's kind of... Uh, it's alchemy. It's undeniable. It's undeniable. It's un- yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it insists upon oh, itself in all the best ways. Uh, it's amazing. You know, it's so good, Craig. It would almost make you root for England to win a major tournament, wouldn't it? Adam um, is going mental. <laughs> <laughs> Have you got them in a draw or something, Dave? <laughs> no, no, I haven't done a draw yet. <laughs> I'm in one draw already and I got um I have as top scorer the Hurricane himself, Sir Hurricane Harry Kane. Um so I'll be rooting for him, I guess. He seems like a nice chap. Um I got I got Italy. Oh nice. They're, they're, prob- they're probably gonna win. Or France, I would say. And I got um Ukraine, just like I don't know. Who knows? So but yeah, I'm hyped for it. I don't think England will be winning it. And do you know why? They have an incredible team. But I was seeing like headlines and much discussion this week of uh, Garrett Southgate deciding to get rid of the waistcoat look. Bad omen. And people being like, oh, he's going for a fucking two-piece suit. And just bad omen. And also like the kind of the vivisection of his fashion choices is just like this is why England never win anything the pressure's too much they take everything too seriously semi-final heartbreak is on the cards which I'd be happy with even if they got to the final and lost I'd be happy with that as well I don't want them to actually win it but you know whatever I mean like not the most hateable England team I've ever seen I like Gareth Southgate let's just have some good football shall we but it's funny to analyse this song if you look at some of the uh, some of the stuff uh, written about it like themes like the lyric unlike those of most football songs speaks not of unbounded optimism for victory but instead talks of yeah. how ever since 1966 and the one success of the English football team every tournament has ended in dashed hopes however the repeated failures have not damped and the feeling that England could again reach those heights. Despite the failures of the past, each tournament is great with fresh hopes that this might be the year they do it again. Uh, it's coming home, etc. You know, th- th- this is like a... It makes reference to the footballing of England's past, but, you know, talks about the present. And, yeah, part of the fun of this song is it trips them up, right? I mean, it sets them up for an amazing fall. <laughs> yeah. And it should be said as well, I remember like, so World Cup 2018, in which they like got to the semi-final and were like kind of demolishing teams until they got there. 
uh, my housemate Richard Chambers I remember he had great fun on Twitter at the time Anytime, every time England won a game he would just go on Twitter and be like it's coming home lads it's definitely coming home and people were going people got apoplectic with him <laughs> it was just pure wonderful <laughs> trolling on his on his behalf so Excellent. and look listen Adam um, I know you've no mic on but you are like I can see you right now will you at least concede that this is a very good song like it's very well written it's anthemic it's fun it makes you feel good about life he's got his thumbs all the way down and I'll now throw it to Craig Fitzpatrick to get me out of jail over here I love this song. It's great. Uh, it's very self-deprecating. <laughs> and do you know what? It, annoyingly, I think the English team at the moment is quite likable. As you say, Southgate is likable. I wouldn't be... I'm not going to say it, actually. <laughs> 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 I won't go there. But it is... You're right. It is like... Um, I think if they ever won anything major, the powers of this song would be at a height for like the summer, but then completely diminish, right? This is like... It's like the Hulk kind of getting more powerful, the more kind of anger and more abuse he takes. Like, this just gets more powerful with all the heartbreaks. Yeah, this song only works. So, yeah, the, the, like, if England win, we're fucked. Continue. The song has to go yeah. away forever, yeah. But right now, it's Unironic Joy. Okay. Uh, Unironic Joy, my number one. Hip-hop has been a bit light on the ground in these lists of late, outside of, like, some Jay-Z nods. Um, I probably could have filled an entire top five with rap. Um, but I didn't. It's the number one spot. It's the other half of Brooklyn's finest. Here you go. You never thought that hip hop would take it this far. Now I'm in the limelight because I rhyme tight. Time to get paid, blow up like the world trade. Born sinner, the opposite of a winner. Remember when I used to eat sardines for dinner? Peace to Raw G, Brucey B, Kick the Free. Funk Master Flex, Love Bug Star Ski. I'm blowing up like you thought I would. Call a crib, same number, same hood. It's all good. Uh. And if you don't know, now you know, nigga. Notorious B.I.G., Juicy, 1994, I think. And yeah, um, hip-hop, you know, like a culture of storytelling that's so rooted in like the come-up and the struggle and then layering in plenty of like celebratory braggadocia as well. Um, for me, probably for both of us, like, you know, Pusha T is a great exponent of that currently. I was thinking of maybe the games we play. But no, I decided to go back further and a rapper that left us far too soon. When he was here, he really was winning for a short, um, tragically short spell. This is just like, from the opening line again, iconic, it was all a dream. I used to read Word Up magazine. It's a sensational song. It kind of transcends hip hop in a way, but it also like sums up the whole genre to me. It's like, it tells the hip hop story in conjunction with Biggie Smalls, um, his own kind of rise. And it's the template, I think, for like absolute classics to come. It's got kind of um, a pop sound to it, but there's a lot of depth there. And what a booming kind of like, indelible voice he had and kind of you know he he had a hard edge to him but on this one kind of adorable like particularly some of the dated lines now of like you know super nintendo sega genesis when i was dead broke i couldn't picture this i just love that as a brag in a rap song which is fantastic but you know the dedication at the start all the teachers that um told me wouldn't amount to anything he's just so commanding charismatic one of the best voices in hip-hop uh there's no really getting around him um and just so kind of versatile as well. I think of Notorious Tugs and how he kind of took on Bone Tugs and Harmony's um, style and just kind of blew them away and his storytelling with Gimme the Loop. But this is like the big one. Um, it was voted, there was a BBC, it wasn't quite a poll, like, or it was a poll of like experts and artists, like I think the likes of Nas were included and stuff for uh, the greatest hip hop song of all time that the BBC did a couple of years ago. And this was like number one. And I think it kind of is because it's like a very... 
detailed um singular story that he's telling but it's also extremely universal i think his skill on the mic is that he just drops bars that are like instantly knowable and you can memorize every line of this song and people have and people will continue to do so and it's like an uplifting message as well it's like you know perseverance better days that he was kind of then living through and it still kind of resonates even though he's no longer around uh, I associate the song quite heavily with you, actually. Uh, whether it's, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Juicy. <laughs> uh, a combination of, I guess, just you playing it in the Hot Press office a lot uh, on the infamous yeah, Hip Hop yeah. Friday days. And with you also, I guess every now and then, just saying, you know, if you don't know, now you know. And thankfully, not finishing that sentence. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I should point out that Craig doesn't go in for uh, I've never switched quotes. it up to pushes, if you know, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the updated version. Safer territory. Uh, yeah, incredible stuff. I guess real quick before we sign off, though, and again, Again, this is one of my uh, classic Dave journalism questions I like to throw at you sometimes. Underrated, do you think, as a career, despite everything? Um, yeah, possibly, possibly. I think he's just become kind of the myth at this point. And it's, you know, him and Tupac, they're kind of... Because when you think about it as artists, they're nothing alike. Do you know what I mean? They really were rapping and kind of creating stuff that was totally different. Um, but of course, because of their tragic ends and the time they were around, they're kind of lumped together. Yeah, it's kind of like but a Biggie, print the legend yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, and it just becomes the tragedy of like how young he was and people kind of forget about like just the, how intricate his writing was. It's one of those things of like he was, what, 24, I think, when he passed away. And you think of someone like Kendrick who was kind of just getting started at that age. Jay-Z, I think, didn't release an album until like 27, 28. And yeah, where would he have gone? We'll never know. But um. He's an icon, but probably people don't talk about the music enough anymore. Well, quite the top five. Uh, not every top five I think you'll listen to on music podcasts will end with Notorious B.I.G. versus Three Lions, but this is what we did. <laughs> this is how we do. And if you like what we do, patreon.com slash noencore, where you can get bonus material, you can get episode previews and playlists, and of course, our, our grateful love. Uh, Adam Shanahan is our sonic architect, who we gratefully love, of course, and mm. has done an amazing job. And yeah, sorry, speaking of Patreon, maybe we can maybe, maybe we can dip into the fun and buy ourselves uh, industrial strength fans if this fucking heat is going to continue, because it's 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 pretty hard going. God bless you for believing it will last that long. But yeah. You never know. <laughs> I should say as well, this is that time of the year when uh, someone, I guess, virtually or digitally in this case, taps on Craig's shoulder in his workplace and tells him he has to take a week off. And so he, he will be factoring his holiday time in and missing <laughs> next week's uh, episode of the show. Show. But thankfully, I've got a guest co-host already lined up, and finally, can't believe it hasn't happened yet. It was definitely supposed to happen before, but didn't. Making her no encore debut as a co-host, Sarah Corcoran of Pillow Queens, excellent, will be oh, joining fuck. me can next I, week. No, you can't. Can no, 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 no. You said you're off. I said I'll take care of it. Fair and enough. I'll just have to listen. Yeah, you're back in two weeks though, and we'll welcome you back with open arms, with arms wide open, as Creed once said. Right, that's that's. Don't end it like that. <laughs> Not for two weeks for me. <laughs> this is what you get for your fucking Steely Dan worship, yeah? Okay? Fair, so, fair. Craig Fitzpatrick, Adam Shanahan, Dave Hanratty. This has been No Encore. There will be No Encore. Back next week. Love you all. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more 
or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. The only thing better than grinding all night for your side hustle is your roommate picking you up with Mickey D's breakfast. The perfect pickup deal. There's a deal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, taste breakfast perfection when you get a warm and savory sausage McMuffin with egg for just $2.50. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.